ulterior. So, we recently just surpassed the one-year mark of me deciding to take the ulterior podcast into a weekly format, because if anybody listening would remember or have been kind of following along since the beginning, I was initially using the podcast to kind of just make like random episodes here and there. I did like Top Artist of January, Top Artist of February, uh, the Top Pandemic songs, and I only really had like any, uh, I guess, desire to turn the podcast weekly once I realized that I had zero fucking passion for the idea of writing out reviews for what was meant to be Ulterior's website. I just couldn't really devote myself to that, so I went the podcast route. And I didn't really want to at first because I thought that if more people discover this later on, um, the first thing that they're going to think of is that I'm ripping off SOTS. Um, am I heavily, heavily inspired by SOTS? Sure. I would like to believe that what they do is different from what I do and vice versa. Um, but it, it's definitely been like a real learning experience to have this kind of a, of a platform because, you know, prior to starting Ulterior and ma- uh, making a podcast or uh, alternate the show as it's referred to now, all I really did was just share my opinions with scene music through forums and Discord servers and whatnot. I never had something like this where it's just me and it's meant to just be me and it's meant to be you know one hour one hour and a couple minutes of me being the main character but i would like to believe that i have developed some knowledge of what to do i I don't think i have it all figured out i don't know if i ever will but for at least what i've been able to accomplish so far i am incredibly thankful for all of you to have given me the chance in some fashion whether it having been you know, following along on Twitter or Instagram or listening to a couple of, couple of these episodes, one episode, you know, whatever it is, just thank you so much for supporting what is ultimately a dream of mine to be able to talk about scene music in this kind of a manner. Um, and that's kind of all I really had to get through for like, you know, an introduction per se. Um, so for this episode, we're going to be looking at new singles from the likes of Lower Definition, Half-Lives, The Cow's Dow Boys, Masked Wolf, and a few others. And then brand new records from The Hara, Windrunner, Kublicon, Texas, and Lights. So, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this episode. I thought I had bookmarked this tweet, but I didn't, and I don't actually feel like looking through my Twitter likes to go and find it and read it off word for word, but the general gist of the tweet was that Jared Leto showed up at a screening for Morbius, uh, specifically for the Morbius Discord community, (laughs) and I don't know, there's something about that specific phrasing, the Morbius Discord community. That makes me kind of believe that maybe the internet circles that I have found myself in throughout the last couple of years 
uh, maybe they're not so bad if some people are, and no shame in this if you like Morbius like that, but I, I, I could never ever imagine claiming myself to be part of the Morbius Discord community. But I do claim to be part of the community for pretty much every artist I'm, I'm going to be talking about today, uh, starting off with the number one ranked song you seem to go overlook this past week, that coming from Lower Definition. The song is Close the Door. So there was actually a ton of fucking backstory to Lower Definition. Um, some of that I would like to save for a later date, more specifically a record release from Lower Definition. I don't know if that's going to be happening, but it's a dream of mine at this point. Um, so just kind of give like a... That was a car passing by, if you could hear that. Um, I guess like a, like a Spark Notes version of this. Um, so they formed in, in 2002, broke up in 2011, came back in 2020, and... They only have like a handful of singles to their name ever since their reunion. And Close the Door is not really the... Well, it is the latest one, but they also had FGRB, which was another really good song, but it's not the one I'm highlighting right now. Uh, you know, that spot goes to Close the Door for reasons I'm going to get into very shortly. Um, one of the things that I want to say, though, is Lower Definition brings with them uh, veteran experience in the scene. And what I mean by that is the vocalist Matt Geis, he has some experience with Dance Given Dance. He was featured on Rock Solid, which is off of the 2008 self-titled. And I believe he, like, filled in for Dance Given Dance a couple times on tour, maybe back when... I, I, I know back when they didn't have Tillion yet, and then maybe, like, he subbed for Tillion at some point. I don't remember exactly how that went, but Matt Geis, you know, he has some experience there. Uh, the drummer, uh, Valentino Ortega, he is now in Of Mice and Men, and just one of the, you know, sickest drummers out there. I've met Valentino before, very, very cool guy down to earth. Uh, great to see people like him succeeding. Um, close the door, it brings with it, like, uh, so I've said this about a lot of other songs before, but it's this combination of, like, nostalgia for post-hardcore, but then also, the channeling of everything modern about the genre that I think really, really highlights what can make it so special. Um, so I would say, like, I can hear bits of, like, Amorosa all the way up into, like, you know, Versus and 131. Um, definitely, like, some Slaves stuff, Rain City Drive, whichever you want to refer to them as. Um, even, like, early Color Morale. There's a lot of different, like, little sounds I can pick out of the scene pole to say makes up close the door but overall it is just uh you know the quintessential post-hardcore song in my opinion in my ears um just I, I can hear this song and like you know be taken back into the timeline but then also just live in the moment and be like god damn this is fucking sick this is everything i ask for out of the genre um and it's one of the songs that like I wouldn't say it has a ton of structure to it. It's definitely all over the place, but everything just feels like so uh, synchronized with each other, and it makes for one of the coolest post-hardcore experiences I've had recently with any song from any artist, and it's the biggest reason why 
I am like so set on receiving more material from Lower Definition throughout the year. Hopefully that ends up being the case. Brand new single out by Half Lives. This one is called Dynamite. Here is a summarized version of how I feel about Half-Lives. What I can totally envisioning happening someday is um, like a clip of a Half-Life song getting just random viral traction on Twitter and the caption being like, oh, why is nobody talking about this band when in actuality people are talking about Half-Lives. It's just not so in your face the way that it's been for you know, some other scene acts over the last few years, but Half-Lives, they have every right to blow up the exact way that, like, you know, Against the Current did, or I was just saying, Tonight Alive, did it? Yes, Tonight Alive blew up. I don't know why I'm trying to discredit Tonight Alive. Um, I can see that happening for Half-Lives, and I really want it to because I think that they're immensely fucking talented, and they've been proving that time and time again, all the way back through their EPs, like, V or, or five from last year, or however you're supposed to actually say that name. Um, resilience from 2020. Every time Half Lives put something out, it's fucking quality. And I need more. I need to see more love and admiration for this band because they definitely, definitely deserves it. Dynamite is so catchy and just like so easy to get lost in. You don't even have to like fuck with the scene necessarily to get into Dynamite. It's so accessible and friendly and easy to digest. And I just feel like this is the band that really, 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 really should be on more people's, you know, mouths and lips throughout the rest of the, I would say rest of the year, but the rest of forever, honestly. Um, some of the terms that just use for Half-Lives, like accessible and friendly and easy to get into, um, none of that is applicable to the next single, a brief article regarding time loops by the Callous Dowboys. And I mean all that in the nicest way possible. All of that is, is coming from the heart out of love for the Cal Stab Boys. So the sound that this band encompasses, if you've never heard of them before, or maybe you're not too familiar with their material, um, mathcore and metalcore are the two genres that you can point to and say that's what makes them up. But even then, it sounds a little bit more complicated than just that. You know, I can say like the Dillinger Escape Plan being an influence, maybe like some other weird shit you would have been listening to back in the day from the fall of Troy or between the buried and me. Um, but what the cow style boys do is they take this chaotic energy and they morph it in a way that makes it at least for me, like kind of catchy, kind of vibey. Um, and maybe those aren't two terms that, you know, you should necessarily associate with the cow style boys, but at least for a brief article regarding time loops, that is what kind of came to my brain. Um, it, it's like, um, it's just a mindfuck more than anything else, but it's a welcoming mindfuck, if that makes any sense, if that's even 
possible. I just listen to this song and it feels like my brain is just going fucking trillion miles an hour, but it's always in control. I never steer off the rails from listening to this song or the Cowboys Cowboys in general. They just kind of have that ability to be this weird band that end up making all of the sense in the world. And I love that for them. I love that for me as a fan of theirs. Um, just, it's a, it's weird because I, I, I go into these episodes like, as if I'm trying to explain these songs and albums and EPs to people who maybe don't necessarily fuck with the scene like that. Um, I don't know how to explain the Callous Dowboys to you if that's the category you fall into, but I would just say, listen to this song. It's going to trip you out, but there's a lot to love about what this song brings forth. Following up what we've seen recently with like Ed Sheeran and MGK, um, another Bring Me the Horizon collaborative track. They were featured on the song Fallout by Masked Wolf. There was a clip of this song that got shared on Bring Me the Horizons TikTok maybe like two weeks ago at this point, and there was no context to the clip, so my assumption was that it was a Bring Me the Horizons single, and I'm glad that's not the case, just because, like, so the chorus that is provided here by Bring Me the Horizon for Fallout, it's good, it's really, really good, but it's kind of, um... What's the right way to put this? It doesn't have like the the bounce or the punch that I think Bring Me the Horizon courses generally have. And that's not exclusive to Masked Wolf. I would say that's kind of what you get out of every track they've collaborated on recently. So I mentioned, you know, MGK and uh, Ed Sheeran. And then even last year, when you go back to like um, Salt by Dane or No More Friends by Olivia O'Brien. There's just something about Bring Me the Horizon collaborative tracks that feel like they're meant to be more like a gateway for people to find Bring Me the Horizon. Um, but getting into the song Fallout in general, I really, really enjoy what's going on here. I love how the, the chorus that Ollie sings, it takes a minute to like really, really let loose and get across everything that it's trying to. It's perfectly built. Um, Masked Wolf in the verses, he's so fluid and just, like, his flow comes seamlessly to him. Um, I like the kind of electronic backing to some of the stuff happening here. Um, mainly the, like, um, like the, the rhythm and the, uh, melody, whatever you want to call it, for the chorus, like that, it's like a wub-wub sound effect, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, just a really, really cool song. I I'm really glad that Bring Me the Horizon got to experiment with something like this, but again, I'm also glad this isn't actually a part of their discography moving forward with Posting Me 2. Uh, let's keep going with collaborations and talk about the PUBG-inspired song by Ice Kills called Hunting Season.
More specifically, it's for PUBG New State, which is a mobile game for PUBG. Um, so this had been in the works for a while because the behind the scenes video for, um, hunting season, it was posted in August of last year. I actually didn't know that this was happening at all until I heard the song over the weekend. Um, and uh, watching that behind the music, um, uh, video with Spencer from I Sign Kills explaining the origins of the song, how it came to be, the process of writing and recording all of it. It's really, really fucking interesting. Um, so some of the, th- some of the cool parts of that video that translate over to the song, um, what they explained in the video was that they asked I Sign Kills if they could take the Erangel theme, which is a, a song within uh, PUBG. It's like this orchestral arrangement. And, incorporated into the track somehow and they ended up being able to do that for the bridge so it's one of those like little easter eggs that if you're into PUBG like that i would imagine you know you really really appreciated isan kills kind of morphing something from the PUBG universe into the isan kills universe in this really extravagant manner um the song itself i would say it does kind of play things a little bit safe at least in comparison to some of the other material that I Sign Kills is known for. It doesn't really have like the crazy theatrics of any installment of uh, the Silver Scream, but it wasn't meant to. It, it's for PUBG. It's very streamlined. But at the same time, I think I Sign Kills were able to make a song that stays true to who they are. Is it softer and slower and more melodic than some of the other shit that they've done? Sure. But it's still really, really good. It, it great chorus, uh, just great rhythm. Spencer sounds as enchanting in this track as he has any other Ice Nine Kills release. Um, I'm a, a big fan of Hunting Season. I really, really enjoy it. The final single that I will be going in detail for for this episode comes from Memphis Mayfire, and it features AJ Channer from Fire from the Gods. The song is called Only Human. There are a couple of interesting things happening with Only Human. For example, AJ, he doesn't just have like one featured spot in the song. He carries a lot of the verses. So he's the first voice that you hear when the track plays, not Maddie. That was kind of interesting in my opinion. But AJ does an incredible job. I, I think if you've heard Fire from the Gods before, it's no surprise that AJ was able to get on Only Human and... I don't want to say steal the show, but just like really, really leave his mark on it uh, beyond just what featured artists generally do, you know? And God, I've said this before when talking about other songs this year, like The American Dream and Make Believe. There is something to what Memphis Mayfire have been doing ever since Blood and Water released last June that it almost feels like a completely different band. Like, I personally didn't fuck with Memphis Mayfire like that for a long time. I would even say I didn't like them. But I cannot deny the caliber of every single so far for the new record, Remade in Misery. Or actually, is it Made in Misery? Is it Remade in Misery or Made in Misery? I'm checking. Remade in Misery. Okay. June 3rd. There's something about each track for that album so far that I don't think you can listen to and say 
This is not Memphis Mayfire operating at the highest level they ever fucking have. Even if you like the Sinner or Prumi Rai or whatever else they've done ever since they formed, um, this album rollout is second to none. Memphis Mayfire, they, they really, really, really might be one of the best bands in the world. And I genuinely ne- never thought I would say that, but it, it can't be denied what they're doing. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Take My Hand by 5 Seconds of Summer. Chosen by Banks Arcade. Save Me, Save Us All by Bexley. Spirals by Glassbone. Erase Me by Grieve. Bad Influence by Hot Milk. Circles by In Her Own Words featuring Derek Descanio from State Champs. Fair Bloom by King Yosef. Straight North by Koyo. FGRB by Lower Definition. Little Fires by Megan Dia, Smoke Signals by Novelist FR, Tea Leaves by Our Last Night, Toxic by Platinum featuring Poor Stacy, I Might Be Dead by Real Hearts, Purge by Willow featuring Sick Brain, and Stepping on the Scene by Young Pinch. So, again, every song last week, a 4 or a 5, I really fucked with the singles. Admittedly, maybe not to the same extent as some prior weeks, but still really notable. I, I enjoyed everything I got to hear. So this week is pretty evenly split. Uh, we got two EPs and two records. I'm going to get through the EPs first and then go into the albums. So uh, let's start with Lowest Form of Animal by Kublai Khan, Texas. Always got to show love to the Texas Axe. So Kublai Khan, they're from Sherman, which is not within any kind of a reasonable proximity from myself. But Texas is Texas. And if you're not weird, I will fuck with your shit. Uh, and Kublai Khan, not weird. Great dudes. Uh, so lowest form of animal. This is the first uh, kind of extended release from the band since Absolute back in 2019. Um, one of the things, many things that I adore so much about Kublai Khan is the ability within their recordings to kind of mimic that live setting. So every Kublai Khan song, like there's no differentiation between the way it sounds in studio and the way it sounds at a live set. And I think that's like a real way of staying true to hardcore and just kind of embodying that DIY spirit. And these are the exact kind of songs that I would just give anything for to be able to be in a pit for. Um, so you look at the lead single for this EP, which was Resentment. That dropped back in October, so it's definitely been a minute now. Um, Resentment, it, so just from the opening line, take a swing at me and just like kind of being able to envision in my mind and hear within my brain a crowd just like screaming these lyrics back at Kubicon. And then once the song kicks in, just like fucking, just lose all of your energy, lose all control, and, like, just be the kind of little hardcore punk scene kid that this kind of music calls for. Um, resentment, it's so just, like, so the thing about Kubikon's brand of hardcore, it's not, like, fast-paced or anything like that, but it is just so 
ferocious and emphatic and unapologetic and it kind of just like holds back nothing when it comes to being able to showcase the heaviness without being so over the top about it. Uh, the same thing can be applied to the other two singles for this EP, those being Loyal to None and Swan Song, the latter featuring Scott Vogel from Terror. Swan Song, I honestly might be my favorite off of Lowest Form of Animal right now. Um, that's a little bit strange because it is the longest song on the EP, and I generally like the more, um, like, simplified format for hardcore music, but there's just something about Swan Song that the delivery to it, the way that it's just like so basic in its instrumentation, yet it's still just like every bit of Kubikon that I can possibly ask for. Actually, Taipan did get singles treatment, but it was the same week that the EP dropped, which is why I didn't single it out for the singles reviews. Um, but Taipan, really short song, like maybe like a minute 10, minute 15, somewhere around that range. Um, but it's one of those examples of hardcore, just kind of like really, really knowing what it tries to be. Like, so Kubikon goes into Taipan, you know, gets across everything they need to, the heaviness, the ferocity of it, and gets right the fuck out. And then that goes into resentment afterwards. And I already said resentment is just the quintessential, like, lead single for a hardcore release, in my opinion. Um, the closing song, Dynasty. So that one, it kind of takes its time a little bit with, uh, making those really memorable and impactful moments. No moment more impactful on that track, in my opinion, than the kind of like breakdown-esque section towards the end. And what I envisioned in my head, going back to like what I've mentioned before about live settings, with Dynasty, let's say that this is like a closer. I don't think it's going to be, but let's say Dynasty was a closer for Kubikon. Just the way that like, you know, many people in the audience in the pit might kind of like be a little bit drained by that point. But the second that Dynasty like really, really kicks in, everything just kind of goes away. Any bit of, uh, you know, dullness, tiredness, fatigue, that's all fucking gone. Everybody just kind of comes back in and is re-energized because that's the kind of reaction that I think Kublikan's brand of hardcore really brings out of the listeners. There's no way that, it, at least in my opinion, there's no way you can hear lowest form of animal as an avid fan of hardcore music and not have like some form of a strong attachment to because what I think this EP does more than anything else is just reaffirm in everyone's minds how goddamn goaded Kubikon is. So I ended up giving the EP a 9.5 out of 10. The only reason that I kind of went that route was because I would say I do prefer absolute over lowest form of animal but for being a five song ep lowest form of animal is just everything that you can possibly ask for out of a hardcore release of this caliber uh kublikon just continue to impress me every single time i get to hear them and i feel so thankful to be able to talk about them in this day and age so how about that new ep out of the horror called we all wear black My own personal journey with the Hara would have began back at the start of 2021. Um, so my Spotify library shows that I added their EP Play Dead to my liked songs playlist on January 4th of that year. And now that I think about it, I actually kind of do vividly remember the first time I heard Play Dead. Um, so again, they had two EPs back in 2020. It was Play Dead and one that's escaping me right now, We Are The Movement. 
but Play Dead was like my introduction to the band, and there's a song on that EP called Bite Down that I will still tout as being one of the most impressive songs I've heard in the last couple of years from a band that still feels very underground in a lot of ways, and that is kind of weird to me because the sound that you hear out of the horror it doesn't have like that underground feel to it. it it doesn't i wouldn't associate the horror with other you know bands on the rise in the scene um like let's say um god what was that one ep it was like a pop punk ep that i reviewed back in january um the name is escaping right now but um Let's use Half-Lives as an example because I can't think of another one right now. So with Half-Lives, I mentioned how they, to me, feel like the kind of band that at any moment, all it would take is like a viral tweet or just something uh, like on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, just something viral to really get Half-Lives going. I feel similarly about the horror because what I would say their sound does is it implements a lot of rock and roll into just like kind of some scene sectors if that makes any sense so, so like bike down i would say you know it kind of has like some bit of a post hardcore spirit but it also channels some rock and roll that you would have heard like from the 80s up to the or the early to mid 2000s that is kind of just what i heard out of bite down and that is what got the hara on my radar and then black soul ceremony this was another well it wasn't another january release Bite Down wasn't January release. It was 2020. Anyways, I, I, I lose my train of thought very often, guys. I'm not actually good at public speaking, so maybe having a podcast isn't the best idea, but whatever it be, what it be, it do what it do. Uh, Black Soul Ceremony, that came out in January 2021. So that was the first single for this EP. So this EP's been in the works for well over a year now. Um, Black Soul Ceremony, I think, carries over a lot of what I adored so much about the Play Dead EP. It still has that rock and roll spirit to it. It still feels like kind of grounded in our scene, even though maybe it kind of takes a more traditional route than some other bands surrounding the Horrorwood. But Black Soul Ceremony, I thought, was a good way to kind of introduce what we all wear black would eventually achieve. Um... Oh, uh, uh, Happy Days. That, that, that was the band I was trying to think of earlier, the pop punk one that I tried making or using as a comparison for the Hara's Rise. Um, so then after Black Soul Ceremony, there was Afterlife as a single. Afterlife was kind of, I, I, I wasn't expecting Afterlife. It's a little bit slower than what I had heard off of Bite Dead or Play Dead and then Black Soul Ceremony. But I, I felt like it kind of stayed true to the nature of the Hara and, it was a welcome change. That's how I took Afterlife as. Fool and the Thief. This came out back in August of last year. I think this is the standout of We All Wear Black. This is the star of the show, in my opinion. Um, Fool and the Thief. This one, I, I would say, I, I got a lot of 21 pilots out of Fool and the Thief. And more so something off of like Vessel and not really anything later on out of 21 pilots. But just like that real, um, like, slow burn if you want to put it that way for the production of it and like the way that it builds up to the chorus and the chorus while not being like totally explosive it feels really anthemic in a lot of ways and i think it's another good showcase of what this band can achieve lyrically i'll be dead by the night if i don't get it right on the first time i can barely survive if i don't try to run on the high line so i'll be the fool yeah i'll be the thief 
I'll be the ghost just to get what I need, heavily fortified, so I dare you to give it your best try. Just really beautiful and poetic in so many ways, and Fool and the Thief is the song that I've gone back to time and time again, not only since it came out last year, but then being reminded through the release of We All Wear Black just what that song kind of means to me in the end. The two singles that followed Fool and the Thief were Die in the City and Domino. Die in the City has like this real danceable factor to it, almost like 1975-esque, but not really, uh, you know, venturing into that exact pop realm. But I stand by what I say. Die in the City, it's just like so easy to kind of move to, nod your head to, get lost within. And then Domino, that one, that feels like it's ready for something larger. And what I mean by that is... That song sounds like it's ready to be played in giant arenas, it's ready to have radio time, it's ready to be found in some like cheesy advertisement you'd see pop up on YouTube, um, and, and I say that with all the respect in the world to Domino, I love that song, I love the way it sounds. And then when this EP dropped last Friday, the only new song on it was the title track We All Were Black, so... I would say that song reminds me in some ways of In the Dark by Bringing the Horizon. It kind of has like a similar vibrancy to it with the, the instrumentation in the verse and how it's kind of just like this almost muted guitar, very uh, minimalistic style while the vocals take over. And then that builds to a chorus that allows the rest of the band to kind of be showcased, not in as great of a manner as like, say, on Black Soul Ceremony, but still just like really get across who is Tahara, what do they bring to the scene, what are they capable of, and what they're capable of in the end is just really being one of those bands that, uh, again, it would not take much for them to take off. It's not going to take a ton of work to just really put them on a pedestal and let them shine the way that I think they can. As long as the Hara, they kind of stay on the course that they are, and just continue to be consistent with their material, and just, you know, just keep up what they're doing, one break, one break is all that it's going to take for the Hara to kind of, I don't want to say be a household name, but at least be on a status that is greatly elevated from where, not only where they are right now, but where a lot of their contemporaries currently lie. This is a band that really, really has a lot of potential. Okay, so there are two albums to get through, and we're going to start with Tan by Windrunner. So let me go ahead and get one of my biggest complaints with this record out of the way now because it's kind of unavoidable and it was one of the one of the things that brought it down somewhat for me personally so the closing song on tan is a song called cyan um we're coming up on the one year anniversary of cyan releasing it dropped april 9th 2021 and the reason i know that's the date off the top of my head is because it came out the day before my birthday and it was the number one ranked song in Scenic Overlook that weekend. So Cyan by Windrunner was part of the top 100 songs list for 2021. Um, I, it was like within the 80s range, I believe. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But 
Cyan was one of the best metalcore songs I heard all of last year. Um, the singles version of Cyan, just unfucking un beatable, dude. That song is just everything that I enjoy so much about metalcore. The the execution of the vocals between the cleans and the screams, the just like real ferocious nature of the instrumentation. Um, just everything about Cyan clicked for me as a single. And I saw that it was a closer on Tan and I was like, oh, that's fucking sick. Cyan is finally part of a record. And yes, it's part of a record at last. Um, however, there's a different mixing to it, a, a, a different mastering. And I think the mixing for the album version of Cyan really really strips away some of what made the single version so memorable and impactful for me personally it's still a good song that doesn't change but having the mixing of the single like in my library and available for me to listen to whenever i want to there is no reason whatsoever for me to choose to listen to the album version of Cyan over the single. And for that reason, I did have to kind of bring the album down slightly because there was that factor of disappointment. However, on the opposite end of that, there is the song Raven, which the single version of that I wasn't really crazy about. But hearing the mixing for the album version, Raven fucks. Raven is really good. Um, so that kind of creates like this disconnect in some ways because it's like, okay, the new mixing on Raven is really good, but the new mixing on Cyan, it, it loses me. Um, but those are the only two songs where the mixing for the single versions do not align with the album tan. So like, um, you know, Mahogany, Sardonyx, Lavender, and Scarlet, all of those songs, they sound exactly the same as singles and then as part of tan. And I will say that Sardonyx and Scarlet are two of the, two of the better songs on 10, I would say. And most of that can be contributed to not only the band itself, but then also the feature spots. So Sardonyx features, uh, Tobias Reich from Novelist and Scarlet has Tom Byrne from Valiant Hearts and Galleons. And what I like about those feature spots is, Tobias and Tom on their respective tracks, they're able to bring what makes their own bands so unique uh, to the scene and they're allowed to kind of like showcase their own styles and it, it's really cool because it feels like Windrunner molding and morphing Scarlet and Sardonyx to the styles of Tom and Tobias respectively and not necessarily bringing them on to be part of something that they don't fit in with. I really like the opening song, the title track. It's an instrumental showcase, and I, I think if that was the route this band was going with, maybe the song didn't need to be two and a half minutes. They could have gotten the same point across with the title track having been like maybe a minute long or a minute 20. 2.33, okay, maybe that's kind of stretching it, but in no part of that duration was I bored with Tan. I thought it was still really good. Um, there's a song later on called Blue. I, th I think that's how you say it. Blue? Blue? Yeah, let's go with that. Blue. Um, that sounds so fucking French saying that, dude. Uh, so, Blue is kind of a... It, 
so I'm going to say it has like this opera feel to it, but that's not really so exclusive to blue, but rather that's just kind of in some areas, the style of Windrunner, that's like what the vocals kind of bring forth, the clean vocals for that matter. Um, but blue just kind of feels like so giant and atmospheric, but like in this apocalyptic manner, it's kind of menacing in, in, in some of its delivery, but still really, really admirable. I think the song Ivory, it really gives uh, Windrunner the chance to slow things down and not really in a way of like making the song less heavy than anything else off of tan but just like it takes its time to build up to those heavy moments um and charcoal which comes in as the uh, penultimate song prior to cyan i would say that one it takes like that extended uh runtime of five minutes 14 seconds and like kind of perfectly utilizes every uh second of that runtime in showing like what makes the band who they are it's like this amalgamation of certain like different characteristics of other songs up to that point and it's able to kind of just like put it in this sponge and let it all kind of like um just grow and grow and expand further before finally exploding with cyan as the closer and i say that because cyan i don't think it's the heaviest song on tan but it's the one that I think embodies metalcore better than anything anything else off of Tan. Um, and again, I couldn't enjoy the album version the way I wanted to, but I think it still was the right choice for a closer. Tan is an album that has some issues, and those issues ultimately did kind of bring the score down. At, this is an 8 or an 8.5, I don't remember exactly. Um... If the the mixing of Cyan wasn't dramatically changed, this would have been much more acceptable on my end, at least for the initial listen, because that is what I reviewed the record off of. I've gone back to it, I, I think, twice since I heard it last Friday, and it's a good album, a really good album at points, but just, you know, some things here and there kind of did hinder the experience, and again... Cyan is the biggest one because I, whenever I'm going to feel like listening to Cyan, I'm going to go to the single version, not the album version. And I really shouldn't be saying that for an album, but that's just like kind of how I ultimately, honestly, truthfully feel. Um, but I, I don't mean for that to take away from anything that Tan accomplished. This is still a, a, an, this is still a good album. It still achieved what I believe Windrunner wanted it to achieve. And it's definitely a metalcore experience that I can't really compare to anything else that you, the listener, might have heard recently out of metalcore. This is something to kind of really marvel at, I think. So now we get into the final album for this episode. An album that I believe, when the year wraps up in December, I'll look back on this and say, this was definitely like one of the most anticipated releases out of the scene for myself personally because it is the follow-up to an album that I named Record of the Year for 2017. So I'm talking about the brand new Lights album, Pep. There's a lot that I can say about lights, and I suppose now is the time to do it because 
this is her moment. This is her showcase. This is where the episode gets to be just about Lights. So, Light's debut album came out back in 2009. It was called The Listening. I didn't know about the album at that time, though. The way Light's kind of came into my fandom was through Bring Me the Horizon in 2010. Light's would feature on two songs off of There's a Hell, Believe Me, I've Seen It, There's a Heaven, Let's Keep It a Secret, uh, Crucify Me, and Don't Go. Crucify Me, I think, is uncredited. But she is the female voice that you hear throughout the song, you know, in the portions of it where it's like kind of computerized and then the acoustic outro. And then on Don't Go, you hear her in the second verse and the way that her beautiful voice contrasts the, not not screams from Ollie, but just like the the pain and the agony that you can hear in his voice on that track it was one of those moments where I heard it, I, I heard Don't Go and Crucify Me, and I just thought like, who is Lights? I want to know more about Lights. And there were so many opportunities for me to be able to do that later on. Um, 2011's Siberia was the first time that I got to experience a new release from Lights as part of her fandom. And there's something there are a lot of really really cool things about siberia amazing record so many songs off of there that i can point to and just say like yeah that was it that was the song that like really really hooked me on lights you know sometimes it's heavy rope sometimes it's timing is everything most of the time it's um frame and focus one of the adorable things about siberia and this is one of the most fucking cute romantic just beautiful things i've ever seen any couple in music do so the same day that siberia dropped was also the release date for awakening by bless the fall um for those who don't know bo Bokin from bless the fall and lights are married and on that day they release albums at the same time there is a song on awakening called 40 days and then there's a song on siberia called end counting and it's like this joint track in a way that kind of details Bo and Light's feelings about being apart from each other for 40 days. And uh, again, just like really, really fucking adorable and just, God, that shit's cool, man. <laughs> that That's really, really fucking sick. Um, Little Machines in 2014, that album was another... I was going to say another high point for my fandom of Lights, but all I ever get out of Lights and being part of her fan base are high points. Little Machines, um, Running With The Boys is the one that I still look at and like, God, that was a moment in time for myself, guys. That was like, because uh, it's not totally different from Siberia, but there is like this added um, pop element, like a, almost like a mainstream pop element to Running With The Boys that really, really kind of just like told me there are so many avenues for lights that she has not explored yet that once she kind of like finds it for real and like fully, fully executes these concepts, it's going to be unforgettable. And that is truly what ended up happening in 2017 with the release of Skin and Earth. That was my 2017 record of the year. Skin and Earth is one of my favorite albums of all time fucking kicks um savage we were here moonshine giants fight club Th the list is fucking insane like that's a greatest hits record that's that shouldn't be just a standard album from somebody like that is genuinely one of the 
coolest, best, greatest compilation of tracks I've ever been able to fucking listen to. And it was accompanied with like this comic book shit that Lights was able to really showcase her artistic style and every song on Skin and Earth matches with a story in the comic. Guys, it is fucking... Holy shit. I'm sorry that I'm just like going off now on a tangent and just like really um, praising Lights and gassing her up. But this is the level of admiration and just, like, passion that I feel for any project that Lights is attached to. And then even when you get into stuff that wasn't part of, um, of, like, an album. So, there's Long Live in 2019, which is meant to be, like, a, a song to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of The Listening. Amazing song. Really fucking good. You get into the Dead End Project from 2020 with Myth from, well, he was from Danger Kids. He does production stuff now. Um, but even then, that EP, mixtape, whatever you want to say it is, fucking insane, okay? Dead End, Outdoor Sports, those songs fucking go. They're insane. They're crazy. I love them. I love Lights. And that love that I feel for Lights music, it, it has never diminished in any way. If anything, it's only grown exponentially with the the time in between Skin and Earth and then the eventual new album Out of Lights. And I remember coming on this podcast back in October of last year when Prodigal Daughter released and just like kind of telling all of you like, guys, it's fucking happening. Lights is in album mode now. We're getting album mode lights and there's nothing like that shit, dog. So Prodigal Daughter, I am fucking stunned that this is not the opening track to Pep. The opening song is Beside Myself, which got released as a standalone almost a year ago at this point. And Beside Myself, so looking at the track listing, I thought like, why is that the opener? Why wasn't it Prodigal Daughter? But hearing Pep in full for the first time and then every instance afterwards, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. Beside Myself is so just like enchanting and beautiful and there's no way to hear that song at least for me personally to hear that song and not just like become so emotionally invested in what is happening um and and the chorus is like so fucking uh, god i don't even know how to describe it i'm just gonna read it off don't leave me hanging waiting for something believing in nothing with nobody else and then after that Body is aching, dreaming and waking, don't leave me waiting, don't leave me here, beside myself, beside myself. So for that to be the opener to Pep, I, I think it makes sense. It, it, it kind of contrasts the almost upbeat nature to some of the tracks off of Pep, but that notion of like, don't leave me waiting, don't leave me here, that is exactly the kind of message that an album of this caliber really should be opening with. And then once Beside Myself finishes, you do get a stretch of songs that encompass the singles rollout for Pep. So the second song is In My Head featuring Josh Dunn from 21 Pilots. I did speak about this song recently on the show, so I won't go like too in-depth on it. But I will reiterate the point about the music video being just like really, really fucking sick. And one of the high points of the entire rollout for Pep, in my opinion. In My Head might be my favorite video of the year so far, honestly, guys. Um, Prodigal Daughter. So, this song, like, Prodigal Daughter is Pep. Pep does not happen without Prodigal Daughter, because the notion of that song kind of being, like, the the mission statement for the record, in a way. 
and, and the chorus repeating the line, baby, I'm back. And again, having that been like the, the statement made initially about album mode lights being fucking back and her just coming onto the song and singing into everyone's ears, baby, I'm back. It's like, yes, goddamn fucking right. You're back. And, you know, that ended up leading to the Baby I'm Back tour, which she's on right now. I'm gonna miss the show in, like, a week or whatever it is. And that sucks. I really do want to see Lights at some point. But, you know, I, hopefully it'll happen one day. Uh, Salt and Vinegar follows Prodigal Daughter. Salt and Vinegar was number one scenic overlook song the week that it dropped. This was, like, in January, I think. Um, or maybe it was February. I don't know, but either way, Salt and Vinegar is probably still my favorite song on this record. Um, there's just something about the the slow yet infectious, addictive, pop-filled nature and sensibility to the delivery of everything that Salt and Vinegar makes up. Following Salt and Vinegar, you get Money in the Bag featuring uh, Chiesa or Chiesa. I, I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly in either of those instances, who is another female Canadian vocalist. Um, Money in the Bag is like so upbeat and it contrasts what I mentioned earlier about Beside Myself being like such a slow, somber song. Money in the Bag is a fucking ass-shaking anthem. Let me, let me just put it that way. Um, it, it's really, really sick. I, I love Money in the Bag. Um, that goes into Jaws and Jaws, maybe it's the the arrangement, but this was the song that reminded me most of Kicks, which is my favorite song off of Skin and Earth. Um, but it's not like so vibrant the way that Kicks is. Jaws kind of takes a slower approach and you never really get this moment of clarity within the instrumentation. It never really like uh, the instrumentation never is what holds the song up. It's just lights. Um, there's something also like really quirky and cute about the chorus. Oh, she got claws. Fuck it, she got jaws. She got her guns out, boots up, no bras. Don't trust nobody. Baby, we're outlaws. Rebel with a cause. Oh, she got jaws. Um, and just the way that Lights sings that chorus and like really, really takes her time. She doesn't rush through it in any way. It's so well paced for being a song that, you know, slows things down quite a bit. I would say Rent is also kind of slow at the same time, while also just having this real, like, pop kind of flow and energy to it, but again, never really taking off the way that a song like Money in the Bag does. Um, lyrically, Rent is another high point for Pep, which has nothing but high points lyrically, honestly. I keep a checklist of offenses. I stay awake to put up fences. If you want to live in my head, you got to pay the expenses. And honey, you can't afford what the rent is. The song Sparky, there's like this kind of really cool, um, almost like a stop and start thing happening with the instrumentation, especially in the chorus that it does. It's not an instrumental showcase in any way. It's kind of minimal in comparison to um, like a really vibrant chorus like on Prodigal Daughter, for example. But with Sparky, it just kind of like really embodies what lights can do when she's able to find the middle ground between having her like softer side on the album compared to the more energetic portions that she makes up later on like on songs like easy money okay okay or voices carry which all of those songs 
they really show off more of like the pop sensibility behind lights rather than what she can kind of do when she's being more melodic. Um, and I, I, I enjoy being able to have these different aspects of lights make up pep. Pep doesn't take on one sound. It really just like gives lights the space and the time to devote all the attention she wanted to to everything that makes up her quirky personality. And when I said earlier about the slow type of style that the opening song Beside Myself kind of encompasses, we go back to it in some ways for the closing track Grip, but it's done in a way that's like, I don't want to say brooding, but just not as like, um, hopeful as Beside Myself, for lack of a better way of phrasing that. So like I said with Beside Myself, you had lyrical moments on that song talking about like, don't leave me hanging, don't leave me waiting. And then when you get to grip, it's almost like the journey taken throughout Pep really did something to lights in the sense that she's reaffirming everything that she meant on Beside Myself. I don't want to think anymore. Never let my head down. I'll close every door if it means I can keep on holding you now. And then even like the chorus song itself, grip, grip, grip. I don't want to lose it. And just kind of talking about, again, like having to hold on to something and not wanting to let it go, not being able to let it go. Pep is the most, um, God, there's a way that it was described by lights. I'm going to try and see if I could find it on her Twitter because I know that's where she, she shared it. And it was the perfect way to really kind of, uh, like put into very simplified terms what Pep means, what it stands for. Um, okay, Light is the most positive doomsdayer I've ever met. That is taken from, uh, Next, which is a magazine out in Canada that Lights is the cover star for, uh, for the month. So again, re- I'll, I'll read that again. Light is the most positive doomsdayer I've ever met. There's no better way that I can describe Pep or Light as a person in general. An artist, rather, because I don't know her as a person. Um, and... Pep really shows, like, everything that makes Lights who she is. I think Pep does a better job at Skin and Earth in in terms of showing this woman's nature and her character. Do I think it's a better album than Skin and Earth? As of right now, probably not. But I don't deny the possibility of that being able to change with more listens for Pep. Pep is fucking amazing guys this is easily one of the best albums i've been able to listen to all year so far um i I don't see any way that this record falls out of favor for me throughout the rest of the season it's a true outstanding work of art this is a piece of history it feels like that i'm talking about here with you guys right now pep is everything that i could have asked for it to be it's everything i wanted to be and i just feel so like blessed and honored to be able to talk about an artist like Lights through this medium that I've made my passion. And that's it. That was every album and EP and single from last week that I had to discuss. Um, my voice is really, really feeling it this week, more so than other weeks. I don't really know why, but yeah, voice is kind of shot right now. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, let y'all go back to doing whatever it is that y'all were doing prior to giving me your attention and time for some reason. I'm tired. I'm really fucking tired. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode.
And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.